And so, you know, I'll just go ahead and remind everybody that today is August 9, 2023, and this is the Wednesday Surreal Politics members-only video chat. Looking forward to uh, hanging out with all of you this evening. I think things have been going pretty good. I think uh, I think that uh, if I were not, uh, you know, I don't want to be come off as compliment fishing. But, uh, you know, if you feel like telling me that I've been doing a great job, I'll agree with you is kind of what I'm getting at. And so then we play the intro music. And, I mean, you know, that's one of the things you know, right? You know, like the intro music informs me that I have very talented people in my space, you know. And that's great, you know. Having having other talented people around is really nice. And so thank you so much, Scotty Jam Jam, for putting that together. Beautiful thing. Welcome, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, fine members of the gender binary, and yes, that includes all of you, whether you like it or not, but of course, you're listening to me, so you wouldn't be so crazy to think yourself outside of that. Welcome to this August 9th, 2023, members-only video chat for Surreal Politics. Good to be with all of you this evening. You know, I uh, I titled this thing uh, Perfectly Natural, and I'm going to get into that in a second, but let me just, uh, let me gloat for a second. We had Ian Freeman on. That thing went over great. And then um, I did on the Uncensored production. I had that Hammer guy on. That's now the most the most watched video on the Odyssey channel. And then we had... Um, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this. <laughs> we just had a very good episode. No, I didn't have another guest. We just had a really great episode on Monday. Uh, and we had, uh, we had a couple of women call in. And uh, I thought that their inputs were valuable, uh, more importantly, because, you know, I'm not the kind of, you know, low character who thinks that the mere presence of women is, you know, a measure of a man's success. But I was kind of impressed with how that thing turned out. And, of course, we've stirred lots of controversy. That's usually a good sign, actually. And so, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm looking forward to continuing it this evening with all of you. You know, I had uh, I had occasion as a consequence of all this. I had occasion to ponder a concept too often overlooked, and I suspect it underlies much of our confusion in politics, namely the question of what is and is not natural, or what constitutes natural phenomenon might be the better way of saying it. I suspect Monday's discussion about relations between the sexes will carry over into today, which is of course fine with me, and this is uh, very much something that feeds into that. I had, a, I had a rather interesting debate about the subject of what constitutes natural phenomena with a friend of mine by the name of Matt. You might have heard me talk about him. This was when I lacked Internet access. He's all about nature and considers much of our world to be quite unnatural. This causes him to hold that portion in contempt, and this contributes mightily to his dissatisfaction in a life he has much right to be dissatisfied about. 
Now, I think uh, the religious folks in the audience may have an easier time with this than my friend did, and some of what I say here may grate against their conceptions of the natural order of things, which is to say, in that perspective, God's order. If God has commanded a given set of behaviors and man may go against this as a consequence of that incident in the garden, then this all makes perfect sense to you, and I may be wasting a bit of your time. My friend, he does not believe the bit about the incident in the garden, of course. He views this story as positively destructive of mankind's survival, to say nothing of his happiness and what general well-being. In this view, the world is matter and energy, nothing more. The entirety of the universe is composed of these two things. Man is atoms, formed to molecules, formed to cells, formed to organs, formed to body. Period. And so, if what man does is not natural, then what is it exactly? That's kind of confusing, or at least it was to me. Is it supernatural? Well, of course, you know, that would surely be at odds with this view. And this gave my friend pause. He didn't really know how to answer me in the moment. He said he'd have to think about this some, and he'd get back to me. And, of course, he did get back to me because, you know, we were neighbors. And with all due respect to him, I found his answer kind of unsatisfying. He said that the behavior that was endemic to the creature was the creature's nature, and to depart from this endemic pattern was to do an unnatural thing. It seemed to me he was just substituting one word for the other, and an unsatisfying word at that. To this I, uh, to this I needed some clarification, because in the common parlance, Endemic had come to include the COVID-19 virus, which, as a consequence, as a uh, as consensus was then beginning to form, had been the product of a Chinese weapons program, supposedly gone awry, totally not released on purpose, of course, because you know that would be war. If man, if a man-made virus is killing thousands of people, and we are now stuck with it, and our being stuck with it means it is now endemic. Well, then this hardly seems to fit the conception of nature that my friend had been trying to articulate. Our go-to example in trying to discuss this phenomenon was homosexuals. It is a common enough view that their behavior is unnatural. <clears throat> and at first glance, that makes perfect sense to me, of course. I could not imagine anything more at odds with my nature than having sex with a man. For women, of course, having sex with a man under the right conditions makes perfect sense. Sex is the mating of members of the opposite sex for procreation, and the fact that this does not always result in offspring is hardly dispositive of the point. That is the instinct acted on. This is the Darwinian purpose of the drive. This is the way the species continues to exist, and everything we know about uh, and and everything that we know about what we call nature comports to this. Of course, one must figure that homosexuals disagree to them, or at least to hear them tell it generally. Being homosexual is the only conceivable way of life for them. They, typically, they do not deign to seek a Darwinian explanation for that drive, and given the ones that prevail, they being so unflattering to the practice, one can see why. But of course, whatever it is that he happens to be doing, man is a part of nature. He is a unique part of nature, indeed, but then again, so is a dolphin, a flamingo, a peacock, or an electric eel, or a beaver. All of these creatures have very unique traits to them, and we do not curse them as abominations. The beaver is said to alter his environment more than any other creature but man, yet when he dams a river and alters the landscape, though we may curse him for the inconvenience his behavior causes to us, we do not accuse him of being a polluter, much less a ghost.
Whatever a non-human animal does, provided it is not uh, provoked uh, to the act by man, is said to be natural. Man is said to be able to do unnatural things, but one will have some trouble building a consensus as to what the line of demarcation is between what man does naturally and what man does unnaturally. Perhaps today you've had a soft drink with an artificial sweetener. This helps us to distinguish that you have consumed something other than sugar, but is the process by which we obtain sugar to be called natural. Sugar.org explains a seven-step process for refining sugar. Step one, harvest sugar beets. Okay, so, you know, we're digging beets out of the ground. We're uh, we're taking the beets and uh, we're harvesting them. All right, well, you know, there's other animals that harvest crops, sure. They don't, you know, necessarily plant them, but wash, slice, and soak the beets. That's apparently one step to extract the juice and separate it from the plant material. And here one might ask, how do we conclude that the juice is not plant material? Step three, clean the juice to remove the impurities and extra color and produce sugar syrup. And here we might ask, what is impure about sugar beets and their color uh, to begin with? Crystallize the sugar from the sugar syrup. That's step four. Step five, spin the crystals in a centrifuge to remove the liquid. Step six, dry the sugar crystals. Step seven, package the sugar for distribution. Then we might ourselves add, load it onto an airplane, fly it to another continent, put it in a truck, drive it over the interstate highway to the building called the supermarket, go to work, earn money, buy it, put it in your coffee, and of course that's a whole nother can of worms. This, of course, comes after we have chosen a plot of land, evened the soil, put down fertilizer, so, uh, moved seeds or seedlings uh, from one place to another, and grown the crops. That is your natural sweetener, ladies and gentlemen, which stands in stark contrast to your artificial sweetener for reasons yet unclear to your humble correspondent. And doubtless anyone who is conscious of their diet may hold similar reservations about sugar. Sugar is the enemy lurking behind every corner for many of us. We avoid it more dutifully than we do COVID-19. And indeed, for many of us, it is far easier to recover from the virus than this chemical. But whatever your health concerns, we actually do know this. What we actually know is this, I should say. Certain types of chemicals, be they contained within animal dung or cooked up in a laboratory, make plants grow more rapidly and with qualities we find more desirable than if we place other chemicals, say that which comes from the urine of a dog or something cooked up in the same exact laboratory on a different hour of the day. Well, that is actually how plants naturally respond to these compounds. When one soaks sugar beets, the natural result is that the sucrose is dissolved into the water. When the water is evaporated, the natural result of this is a crystalline substance. We know that this tastes pleasant to humans and other creatures in part because it signifies a rich source of calories we need to survive. That is, when we are not sitting around on the couch watching television and getting fat. So it is perfectly natural that you like sugar. It is perfectly natural that you know other people like sugar, too. It is perfectly natural that you would seek to give others the things that they want so that you can get the things you want from them. It is perfectly natural that you observe plants in one place. It is perfectly natural that you discover the capacity to move those plants. It is perfectly natural that you will harvest the plants when they grow. It is perfectly natural that you will take the most desirable parts of those plants and do with them as you see fit. 
It is perfectly natural that you will combine those parts of the plant with other parts of other plants and with minerals from the earth to build things unique to human beings. It is perfectly natural that these things you build will help you to build more things. By the time we extrapolate this process to the point where it is perfectly natural for you to burn liquid dinosaurs to travel quickly across highways, the word nature may come to take on a meaning that borders on foreign in the common parlance, but at the end of the day, there is no magic involved in any of this. And this all may seem a bit tedious at first glance. It is natural for you to feel that way, I guess. But take our recent conversation about the relations between the sexes. There emerged some diversity of opinion in this discussion, of course. Man's nature being what it is, we might expect nothing less. A common theme of the malcontents was that we are in some sort of unnatural state. Justice demands that we impose the natural order in which men dominate and women submit. If we are fair to them, we confess that there are some compelling arguments behind this line of thinking, even if most of them lacked the skills to articulate them. On the other hand, if they are fair to us and accept as natural the turning of beets into crystals and the mixing of them with cola nuts, then we can hardly accuse women of witchcraft for going to schools that men built and staffed and codified into law. To say that a thing is natural, we might note, is not to say that it is good. It is no less natural to steal than to trade, no less natural to rape than to marry, and at the risk of drawing the ire of sensible people, no less natural for two homosexuals to copulate than for a man and a wife to produce a child. There are Darwinian explanations for the latter example here, of course. Perhaps the creature is unfit to procreate and on some level knows this, but is still intact enough to have the impulse By one evolutionary explanation, homosexuals are doing their best to spare us the burden of their offspring. If they would simply cease preying on ours for their pleasure-seeking, we might consider this a generous thing of them to do. But since we observe that they do prey on our children, and since we observe that abused children themselves are more likely to become homosexuals and more likely to abuse still more children... It is perfectly natural that we seek to stop them by whatever means we deem necessary to protect our young. uh, Observing this, we may say that it is perfectly natural for conflicts of interest to emerge, not only between but among species. In that instance, it is perfectly natural that a competition will emerge and that the interests of one party will win out over the other. It is perfectly natural that the victor will consider this justice and no less natural that the vanquished will consider it the most egregious of abominations. This may be a bit of a lengthy way to illustrate a simple point. Nature is doing just fine, ladies and gentlemen. It will be doing just fine until long after you and I are dead. It is perfectly natural that you are disgusted by much of what you see. It is perfectly natural that this disgust causes you to act in ways that seek to change those things that bring you this discomfort. It is perfectly natural that you will fail. It is perfectly natural that you will learn from your failures. It is perfectly natural that you will improve if you keep trying. It is also natural that if you misdiagnose a problem, you will propose and pursue ineffective solutions. So you might try to do away with this notion that it is unnatural, this state in which we find ourselves today. It is as natural as a thing could be. The stars are not misaligned. Gravity has not reversed. God has not abandoned his post. The devil has not come to claim the earth as his realm. 
There is no demon to throw holy water upon. The government is not possessed by wicked spirits. Women are not condemning you to sexual purgatory by boiling the eyes of lizards in cauldrons. God or none, the matter and energy of this world operate according to predictable rules. Those rules are unbreakable by all the forces relevant to your daily existence. If you diet and exercise appropriately, you will become more physically attractive than if you do not. If you are physically attractive, then sexual gratification will come to you more easily than if you are not. If you work hard and educate yourself, you will earn more money than if you don't. If you earn more money, then you will be seen as a better provider by higher quality women than if you are poor. If you are seen as desirable to the opposite sex, then the reproductive instincts of others will deem you worthy of emulating. If you are deemed worthy of emulating, your opinions will be valued more highly than if you are not. If your opinions are highly valued, then you will be able to influence politics. And that is the natural order of things. And try though you might, you will not ever, ever, ever successfully violate nature's will. You cannot help but do it. You might be able to disobey God, but you are not going to disobey nature. You might very well set something on fire and get yourself up into the sky. But you will not violate the laws of gravity, okay? That's not what you're doing when you fly. You're actually complying, okay? And so that's, uh, that's what I had to say about the nature bit, and I am uh, looking forward to discussing this with you. Uh, let's see here. Complex society creates situations for which we are not really adapted. Working in a factory instead of farming would be an example. Well, I would say that, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's a circumstance born of a natural phenomenon, but it is, you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a change in our lifestyle, for sure, Hatting. Anybody care, to, uh, anybody care to chime in today? Well, we're short tonight. We were, like, packed last week. What happened? All right. Well, I have uh, I do have some news here I can pull up. If any of you guys get chatty before I start the story, go ahead and I will uh, I will go ahead and stop what I'm doing. But I would love to hear from you. Um, let's see here. Okay, here's one. So um, there's a lawsuit got fired uh, filed against these uh, Patriot Front guys. You might have heard there's like this outfit. They used to call themselves Integrity First for America, and that just became way too ironic. So the uh, lying crook who was the figurehead of that, she uh, she she shut that outfit down, and now she's with another one. And now they're suing other political opponents of theirs. And so they're saying that Patriot Front attacked a man with racist intentions in Boston, and they're trying to pull the same scam that they attempted to pull in Charlottesville. And of course, they are uh, they're uh, using their example of their successful lawsuit down there, um, which, if you know anything about that, is a lie because they completely failed to prove their claim as evidenced by a little something called the verdict. <laughs> but you know, why would these people be bothered by the truth that would not be allowed to interfere with what they do, or they would do nothing at all? Today, Human Rights First, that's the name of the organization. Integrity First for America no longer exists. Now they are Human Rights First, and they're just going to keep on making shell corporations until they are banned from filing fake lawsuits, I guess. I don't know. 
Today, Human Rights First filed the uh, joined the law firm of Foley Hogue LLP. Okay, Foley Hogue, let's hear about it. In a filing a federal civil lawsuit against the neo-Nazi extremist group Patriot Front, its leader Thomas Rousseau, and unnamed members for their violent attack on a black man in Boston in 2022. On July 2nd, 2022, Patriot Front members marched without a city permit along the Boston's historic Freedom Trail. Well, you know, fellas, if you had the permit, then, you know, none of this would have happened. Oh, wait, they did that in Charlottesville. And they were like, I don't care if you have a permit, you know, to march. Eh. (laughs) They wore neck gaiters to mask their faces and conceal their identities and carried large homemade shields that could be used as weapons. Encountering Charles Morrell III... On the sidewalk, Patriot Front members physically attacked him, pushed him against the street pole, and bloodied him by beating him with their shields, feet, and fists. Because, you know, if you watch the Patriot Front videos, you know, you know, it's just like, they just, they're like, hey, you gotta go find me a darkie, right? <laughs> like, you know, you know, but I'm like, do, everybody knows that, right? No, no, everybody doesn't know that because they watch CNN, they're stupid, and they watch Fox News, they're uninformed, unfortunately. They watch, they watch, uh, they watch Michael Knowles, and they think they're a bunch of cops. They're like, "Oh, those cops are out batting, beating up black people again." <laughs> this attack left me with physical and emotional injuries. While I'm still trying to heal, I hope that this healing will be broader than salving my own wounds," said Morrell, the target of the attack and plaintiff in the case. As a black man and an educator, I feel like every black and brown child is my own. If this lawsuit helps keep even one of them, one person safe from violent white supremacists, some justice will have been served. Well, that's weird. How many women have you had sex with that you think every brown child you see is yours, you degenerate? What's wrong with you? The attack is a concrete example of the violence white supremacist groups like Patriot Front use to intimidate minority groups and their allies and further their worldview. Really? So how many Patriot Front guys were arrested for this Nazi assault in the middle of Boston? I think the answer is zero, as a matter of fact. I guess those Boston police are just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> good. Thanks for thanks for dealing with those guys for us, fellas. So you think that's what the Boston police are doing? I don't have any information about that. This ideology is rooted in far-right, anti-democratic conspiracy theories promoting racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic agendas, which are increasingly promoted and normalized by public figures, including elected officials at various levels of government. In particular, Patriot Front uses the veneer of patriotism as a cover for this extremism, an all-too-common tactic on the far-right that's right. So all that patriotism is just Nazi propaganda, isn't it? <laughs> The lawsuit filed in the United States District Court in Boston alleges that the defendants conspired to interfere with Morrell's civil rights in violation of the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, 42 U.S.C., 1985-3, and the Massachusetts Civil Rights Act, as well as other related state law claims. So this is exactly what they're doing, okay? It's literally the exact law they sued us under. And and then they're tacking on the, the Massachusetts law, okay? Now, I don't know all the details of the Massachusetts civil rights law, but I'm willing to bet that there's a nonviolent theory of liability behind that law. And I'll tell you what, you know, I tried to get a hold of Thomas Rousseau to get him on the show. If any of you know him, you know, tell him to come talk to me. But uh, I'll give him a little bit of advice if uh, somebody wants to give him a message. 
the first thing that you need to do is make sure that, like, they're not able to find you guilty under an alternative theory of liability, okay? That's what they did to us in Charlottesville, okay? They sued us for a racially motivated violent conspiracy, and when they didn't get that, we were still held liable for harassment. And that's the subject of my appeal before the Fourth Circuit right now. You don't get to sue me for a violent conspiracy and then find me liable for hurting your feelings. And that's exactly what they're attempting to do in Massachusetts. It's exactly what they attempted to do successfully in Virginia. And so uh, I hope that those uh, fellows have the good sense not to let that happen again. The law has permitted, prohibited, <laughs> permitted, prohibited racially motivated violence for more than 150 years. A lot of good it did us during 2020 with all those racially motivated lootings and murders. And this complaint seeks to use, oh, that's right, it's only against black people and Jewish people. Do you know that? Do you know that we have race-based laws in the United States? That's literally what it is. Like, that's literally in the jury instructions, okay? <laughs> if you find they conspire, it doesn't even perfect, protect Hispanics, as a matter of fact. That law doesn't protect them, okay? So, like, <laughs> it's only for black and Jewish people, which is a really interesting phenomenon. It's the, the whole entire point of the law is to, like, correct for slavery, and then they just, like, slip Jewish people in there. And they were like, yeah, you know, we're with them. They just, like, slide through the turnstile together like, like nobody noticed. Our firm has an unwavering commitment to helping clients protect their constitutional and civil rights, all save for the First and Second Amendment. We will continue to devote resources to fight those affected, fight for those affected and marginalized by racial injustice. Okay. This lawsuit hews to human rights first's long record of using the law to bring change. That's right, because what they're trying to do... <laughs> They're not trying to compensate their client, who doesn't have any injuries, we'll find. What they're trying to do is change society through the civil law system, and nobody cares because they're going after the bad guys. And they're going after those unpopular people who need to wear masks to express their political views. <laughs> because that's what the civil rights law firm does. Oh, well, you know. You get the idea. It's a bunch of crooks bothering people with no good reason. You get the idea. So uh, anybody care to chime in before I go on to the next thing? Because that's just depressing. It's stupid. Oh, I'll read one more thing from it. Wait, what? You know what? I'll just uh, somebody else posted a quote from this guy. So uh, in in the lawsuit, they say such emotional trauma has negatively affected Mr. Morell's ability to earn a living as a composer and a musician. He's been unable to complete musical composition contracts and has generally lost the will to write or perform music. Now, remember, uh, he's an educator, okay? You ever heard the thing? Now, I, you know, I have all the respect in the world for competent teachers. Thank you so much for educating future generations. But there's that, you know, saying some people say, those who can do, those who can't teach, okay? So this guy's a teacher, and he's uh, not a musician, Okay. But, of course, they're like, well, you know, if you, like, went to work the next day and didn't miss any work, where's your damages? And he's like, well, I was I was an aspiring rapper once, okay? <laughs> uh, this guy's uh, rap career has totally been um, dismantled because, because he went to a 
we went to a white nationalist demonstration and he got his feelings hurt. And so he's not able to be a rapper anymore, apparently. And so the Nazis ruined his rap career. I guess he's going to have to settle for an acting job. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. We're not taking calls, of course. I'm just kidding. So. Silence on the line. Silence on the line. Am I being informed that there's no audio? Or you're not... Hang on a second. Let me find out what's going on here. Uh, what's going on here? I'm being informed that they that um hang on a second. No, I have audio. There's audio on Odyssey. Um sorry I can hear. Okay. So I don't know what happened. Um I don't know if there was like a momentary blankout. I apologize for uh whatever um oh when you were asking for people to join. I got you. Okay. So um there we go. I'm sorry. Wait a second. Oh, so you, Matt's trying to chime in, and I'm not hearing him. Is that what's going on? Matt's trying to talk? Yeah. hear me? Now I hear you. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, yeah. I was just being a little bit quiet. So, um, anyway, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Russia. Um, you know, first off, one thing I, I noticed is that <clears throat> it, it seems like on some pro-Africa, um, pro-Black YouTube channels, um, I'm noticing that two themes. One is that they're overwhelmingly pro-Russia, and the other thing is that they're overwhelmingly anti-France. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have any comments about that. So I don't know what it is. I don't know anything about France. What what I do know is that this is what I, I didn't, I haven't been following this clo too closely. Like, my, my familiarity with the Russia-Africa situation comes from like the neo-nazis who like ukraine and they're like russia loves blacks or something and i'm like you're a bunch of idiots and i didn't bother to look into it and i just discovered something the other day well what ha what's happening is that russia's cornering the iranian market is what's going on so russia goes to africa and it's like hey you're the government of africa are you a bunch of greedy crooks and they're like yeah of course and he's like okay how much money do you want i'd like your uranium please would you by the way go die in my war right and so, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what seems to be going on there, that Russia is is trying to buy up all the world's uranium. And he did that, of course, with the help of Hillary Clinton, you might remember. And so, you know, America buys, I think, 20 percent of its uranium today from Russia while they, uh, you know, wage a proxy war against them. And that's probably going to end up being more because Russia keeps going around the world, acquiring all the uranium reserves that they can acquire, not least of all in Africa. And that's what I think is, uh, I think that that is one of the large parts of what's going on with Russia and Africa. I actually have no idea what's going on with the French. I guess I, I, I do know that the French, uh, my understanding of France is that France uses a lot of nuclear power. And if that's because France has uranium, um, that might have something to do with it. But I actually don't know about the French part. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think we can see all over Africa that um, people are getting very angry at France. And I think that, um, like, for example, in Mali, they just said that, um, you know, uh, French will no longer be a language of their country. Now, will they be able to function without French as a language? I don't know. They, 46% uh, of the population speaks I think it's called Baramba, and 
Um, you know, all the other languages have less than 10% of the population. So will, will they be able to have that one language become the lingua franca of the country? I don't know, but just all over Africa, I'm really just seeing them getting really mad at France. You know, I, um, it's something, again, I can't speak too intelligently to. I mean, the only thing I can do, the only thing I can associate it with, I think it probably has to do with Russia, and it probably has to do with the Ukraine conflict, right? There, You're the Western power that's, you know, I'm, my guess is this. France is involved in resource competition with Russia. Russia is buying out the warlords and being like, screw those French people. And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, that's my guess. But I, I don't know anything about the French part. All I know is that, you know, Russia is going around there trying to acquire resources and be, and and they're doing a and they seem to be doing a bang up job of it. You know, so if the French are in resource competition with uh, Russia, then that that would explain it in my book. So do, do you at all worry that Russia might um, lift up the third world? Um, I don't think that that's possible know. to do. Right. So, I mean, you know. Will they feed well, them? Well, they might you not know. lift it up in terms of, you know, quality of life, but they might lift it up in terms of, I don't know, let's say population. I think that's terribly unlikely. I think I think that Russia is probably more likely to give them guns, which is probably not going to help their their numbers any. You know, I I knew a Russian guy who was accused of bringing a lot of guns to Africa. And it was kind of funny because, you know, we were we were in a place where there were a disproportionate number of African-Americans, say. And they, uh, you know, they sort of understood my politics to not be uh, aligned with theirs, say. Um, but they liked my Russian friend because they were under the impression that he was helping them by bringing them guns. And I found that very, very amusing. <laughs> so, hmm, so, so I guess, um, see, it's interesting because a, a lot of times it seems like I have something I was going to say to you, and then it seems like you always have a certain nuance that I didn't think of. So, you know, sometimes these things are deeper than they seem. Um, so it, it, it seems like your, your position is that you're, you're pro-Russia and you're anti-China. Do you think that, does it worry you that Russia and China seem to be on the same page? Yeah, it worries me a great deal. So like, you know, the American foreign policy from Nixon, Kissinger, right up until Joseph R. Biden, the, the whole entire point of the Russia-China strategy was to, to never allow them to become closer to one another than either was to us, okay? And that was very important, especially during the Soviet Union, because if you get, you know, China and the Soviet Union form an alliance, it's like a major world problem, right? And so, you know, now, of course, communists are no strangers to infighting any more than the, than the dissident right is. And so, you know, the world was sort of fortunate that Mao Zedong and Joseph Stalin did not become best of friends, right? And, you know, Nixon and Kissinger meant to keep it that way. And every president since then, right up until Joseph Biden, did exactly that, okay? And then they were like, okay, I got an idea. Let's go try to start a war with Russia. And by the way, we'll just have like a corrupt president who's enthralled to China and just can't do anything about it, right? And so now that's what that's what we have. So when when... When the United States starts trying to provoke a war with Russia, what is Russia going to do? It's the most obvious thing in the world they're going to go to China. So the whole entire, like, it you couldn't, if you were trying to destroy the United States, this is the way that you would do it, is you'd go chase Russia into China's arms. And that's what they did. 
But so, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, what, uh, why do you think that, um, what makes you think they're destroying America intentionally? Don't you think it could just be, you know, they're, they're crazy people have gotten out of control and now they're, the crazies have just risen to power through that system? So I am not of the impression, like, my view of human behavior is that failure does not persist, okay? So, like, if you're failing, you 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 change your behavior, right? If, if you keep on doing something, like, people say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. No, that's not true, because insane people are not stupid, right? So, like... <laughs> You know, you, you see like a, a, a retarded person might bang their head against the wall, but you don't hear a bunch of like retarded people banging their head against the wall until they're dead. What they do is they bang their head against the wall until they get somebody's attention and then and then they get the attention that they want and then they stop. Right. So like retarded people don't, you know, retarded people figure this out. The idea that Joseph R. Biden is too stupid to understand this is not a plausible theory to me. Right. So like his son goes over and makes millions of dollars in Ukraine and China and he's a crackhead Warmonger. There's no reason to hire Hunter Biden to do anything, okay? Much less if you're in China, you know? There's plenty of capable people in China. China doesn't need anything from Hunter Biden except connections to his father, right? All, all they need to—the only reason for China to do business with anybody in the Biden family, okay? Well, like, a worse example than Hunter Biden might be Joseph Biden's brother, right? So, like, this guy's just a con man. All he does, like, he got involved with—I I don't have all this stuff in front of me, but— Peter Schweitzer's book is great, um, but uh, several of his books actually. But Secret Empires was great, and um, Red Handed: How the uh, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. That's the other one. And so, like, you know, he talks about this that all of these American, you know, politicians and people who are related to politicians, you know, are invited to go do business in China, and not everybody can do business in China. It's not like it's it's not America that like you just be like, hey, I've got a bunch of money, I'm going to go buy some land and build a factory. You guys let me know if you need anything. It's not how it works in China, okay? Like, if you're doing business in China, the, the Chinese Communist Chinese Party is letting you do it. And so, like, it's it's not like these people are like, oh, well, you know, there's just a lot of customers over there. It's not what's happening. And 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 so there's nothing, there's nothing in China that the Chinese people can't do that they require the assistance of the Bidens for, except as it pertains to American politics, okay? And so, like, they... They basically, I don't know all of the details of it, you know, it's a clandestine operation. They obviously don't mean to tell us everything, but from what we know, we know that they were paying the Bidens, right? And so the, Ukraine is paying the Bidens, <laughs> China's paying the Bidens, now there's a war in Ukraine, and this is accruing to the benefit of China. So, you know, I, I the idea that that would happen by accident is crazy, you know? And, and Joe Biden, like, you know, Joe Biden doesn't believe in transgenderism, right? Like Joe's like an old Southern bigot, right? <laughs> like he, he, all the things that have fallen out of his house for the years. Like, do you think that he's, do you think that he actually believes this nonsense? No, like he's being told to say it and he's saying it. He's just, you know, he's following instructions. And so like, you know, it seems obvious to me that that's the goal. You're, you know, if you're the Chinese, you're, you're China and you say, okay, American hegemony is not working out for the world. Like, you don't even, you're not even doing anything nefarious in your own mind, right? The, the Chinese probably think this is the best thing for mankind, okay? So, America sucks. America's destroying itself. They, they elect lunatics. They're, they're, they're a bunch of corrupt people. We could buy their politicians and, like, nobody cares. And so, you know, they don't really deserve to lead the world anymore. We'll do it, okay? We have 1.4 billion people. We outnumber, we could send, we, we could send our, we could send, 
you know, we could send our enti- we could outnumber their entire population and still have a billion people in our country. Why are these people in charge of everything? So China says, uh, you know, American hegemony has to go. And most of the world is kind of like, you know, it, it was okay. it was good while it lasted. And then they started they went into the Iraq thing and, all the, you know, all this stuff. And now they just can't mind their own businesses, you know? So, like, yeah, like, let's get rid of them. You know, a lot of people, a lot of reasonable people believe that. And I, I'm not actually of that view for all my, you know, problems with the current administration, all the foreign policy stuff. Like, I actually don't believe that, okay? But you understand why other people do. So, like, you know, I would far prefer there to be responsible people in charge of America and America run the world. I think that would be, you know, the ideal situation. And that, and, and most of the world felt that way for a very long time. But now they're just, you just like, okay, well, we'll just do whatever we want. We'll just print money and we'll export inflation because all of you idiots are dumb enough to hold our dollar. So when we print money, we get to live high on the hog and you suffer. And shockingly enough, people are like, that's kind of stupid. And so we got to stop that from happening. But if we try to go to war with the United States, well, that's probably not going to work out well for anybody. Like that's like the whole mutually assured destruction thing. So. How do we destroy the United States of America? Well, we'll buy their politicians, we'll tell them to cut their balls off, and then we'll get them into a war with Russia. And so you'll have all these white people killing each other, and that will end white supremacy, which the whole world is against anyway. And so, you know, and then the Chinese will come in and just, like, clean up the mess. So that that seems like the most plausible explanation for the world stage today in my book. Yeah, you know, one other thing is, I, I wonder, would you make any distinction between um, American foreign policy and European foreign policy? Because I think that I have generally just put lumped it all together and said it's all the same thing. Although I think that maybe uh, there might be some people in Europe who say we want to build our own militaries and, you know, that way we don't need to rely on America. I don't know if you think maybe... um, European Union type countries might be, um, you know, less problematic than American foreign policy. Well, well, after those European countries are capable of providing for their own defense, then after that, they can have their own foreign policy. But since they're not able to do that now, they don't have their own foreign policy. Right. Whatever whatever the United States wants, it gets right. You're like. You know, right. Europe has been like, OK, well, you know, we've got the NATO thing. We've got the nuclear umbrella and, you know, we'll we'll like we'll we'll basically, you know, have this like token number of people to go putz around in Afghanistan or whatever. Go we'll send the prince over there and, you know, make like make like we care. And and that's what's going on. Right. They don't you know, they don't have they, they can't have their own foreign policy because they're not responsible for their own defense. So if somebody's in control of protecting you, if, if you're. If your military defense is in somebody else's hands, then, you know, you don't you, you necessarily don't have your own foreign policy. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, in some ways it might be that they don't have their own military. I mean, they have some, but they don't have a big or effective military. It could just be because they know that America will protect them. And maybe if the American empire collapsed, maybe they would um see the necessity to improve their own military what, what, what they what they don't have the capacity is to defend against russia which is the whole entire point of the exercise okay so like if russia decides hey we're gonna go invade europe we're gonna go straighten out this whole world war ii thing uh and like you know they go invade you know 
one country after another, there's not a there's not a military force there to really stop that absent American protection, right? So like that's the that's the thing. And so because of that, all they can do is whatever America says. Now, they they they're probably regretting that right now. They're like, "Well, why are we mixed up in this stupid Ukraine thing? Like he's got a legitimate complaint. You people are stirring the pot. You went violently overthrew their government and you're sh- surprised it didn't work out. What's wrong with you?" And then Joseph Biden's like, do you want to fight Russia without our help? And they're like, no. And they're like, so just shut up and do what I told you to do. <laughs> that's 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 what I think is going on. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it would not be all that difficult for some of the European countries to defend themselves. I mean, Britain and France each have about 300 nuclear weapons. If they were just willing to share those with some of the other European countries, um, all of a sudden, you know, they might not need much else in the way of military. You know, you got nukes. People like to leave you alone. Well, there's that. But, you know, you know, talk about that escalated quickly. Right. So, like, they don't have they don't have a conventional force that can fight off a Russian invasion is my understanding of it. And it's a very limited understanding, by the way. So I could be wrong. But my my understanding of it is basically that, you know, the reason that Donald Trump was complaining about this is because these people weren't even paying their NATO dues. Right. So, like, they're supposed to spend and not, it's not even NATO dues. They're, they're supposed to be sending, what, 3% of GDP on their military defense. And they're not doing that, okay? Because because the politicians are buying votes with welfare statism. So they're like, oh, well, you know, vote for me, and then I'll increase this pension or whatever instead of putting the money into the military and acting like responsible statesmen. And so, yeah, the, you know, they have nuclear weapons. And so, you know, if, um, I don't know, name some third world country comes in there with spears and it's like, yeah, we're going to overthrow you with spears. Well, you can nuke them if you want, I guess. Yeah, you know, but, like, you should probably be able to fight off the spears. And and if you can't do that, well, like, you know, somebody might call your nuclear bluff at some point, right? And and I think that that's, you know, that's at least part of what's going on. Because, of course, if, if let's say Russia goes and says, uh, I'm going to go and invade Poland or whatever. Okay. I'm going to, I'm done with the Ukraine thing. I'm going into Poland. And Poland's like, okay, I'll nuke you. Well, like they're like, well, I have nuclear weapons too, stupid. Like, do you want your whole country destroyed? Like, I have more nuclear weapons than you. Do you want, you know, do you want to get into a nuclear war with Russia? Go ahead. You know, <laughs> I, I, something tells me that, you know, there there could be a, there could be a, what is known uh, in the movies as a Mexican standoff there, but all you know, it being European in nature. All right. Well, I'll let some other people talk now. Thank you very much. Um, I saw. The, go ahead, Pat. Thank you. Chris, uh, I wanted to jump in on that topic. Um, how do you like your your the basic way you laid out the you know China buying Biden and everything? How does that square with U.S. foreign policy towards Taiwan and all the provocations we've been doing lately in regards to that? Um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. So I I think that the thing that we're doing with Taiwan is n- nothing, right? So Joe Biden talks tough about Taiwan, and then he's like, okay, here's. Here's a fraction of the money that we're sending to Ukraine for for Taiwan to buy weapons from us. Okay, so what is what is actually happening in Taiwan is actually nothing at all. But they're making a show of it, of course. So, like, am I in the pocket of China? No. Look at how tough I am on China. Well, no. Like, you're not tough on China at all. Like, you're like our entire economy is going to China. So like if you sell a bunch of M16s to the Taiwanese and then you give them the economy, you know, seems to be that the Chinese are not that upset about that.
And I'm sorry if that like I like I'm I'm not trying to speak in a in a mocking tone of you for that, by the way. I should just say like I'm making fun of the the policy is the is kind of the thing. Um and so uh I'll let you uh I'll let you respond. Yeah, no, I, I didn't have like a grand thought behind that. I was just curious to hear what you were gonna say. Yeah, I, uh, I think like when I heard Joe Biden say it's plausible that it's kabuki theater. Yeah, when I heard Joe Biden say we will come to Taiwan's defense, okay. When I was still, I still didn't have internet access when this happened. And so Joe Biden goes on television, he goes on a television interview, and he's like, yes, the United States will, you know, militarily defend Taiwan. And, like, everybody's like, are you out of your mind? What's wrong with you? Like, like here's the other thing about the, the China policy, okay? So, like, after, um, after uh, Chiang Kai-shek flees to Formosa, as it was, you know, there's kind of a dispute over who's the government of China, all right? And, you know, the, 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 they didn't call themselves Taiwan then. It was the Republic of China and the People's Republic of China, the, the ROC and the PRC. And so um, the United States, for a long time, just recognized the Republic of China as the legitimate government. They didn't recognize Beijing as, as the legitimate government of the People's Republic of China. And so, like, there was this... They what they called strategic ambiguity that it became like, OK, this is an untenable situation. This is the government of the, the People's Republic of China. The communist Chinese are the government of China. And if you keep on pretending that it's not, then like you're going to run into a problem. And so they they came up with this idea of like strategic ambiguity where they said um, there is only one China. Taiwan is a part of China and we support reunification or something to this effect. But they never actually stated who was the government of China. Okay, and the other thing that they said is that they will help, you know, this uh, they will help Taiwan defend itself. But it was never said how. Okay, like they they would provide them with the means to defend themselves, but they would not say whether or not they would militarily intervene in a in an attack from the mainland onto the island of Formosa. And so that was the whole entire thing. Right again, right up until Joe Biden. So Joe Biden comes into office and all of the China foreign policy of the last 50 years is is up in smoke like that, okay? And it just seems to me that it, it seems to be very difficult to fathom the idea that this would be a consequence of Mr. Magoo fumbling around to the benefits of the people who paid his son millions of dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think about the United States basically forming like this kind of like Pacific version of NATO with um, Australia and... Uh, I think the Philippines, there's like a number of countries that they're, they're, they formed recently some like new alliance. So like it's militarily based. It seems like a, a Pacific NATO sort of thing. I, I felt like that was like a, a way to prepare for potential conflicts with China and to like, kind of like exert more force on China. Um, what do you think? So I don't think that the, I don't think the plan is for a military confrontation between the United States and China. So like, I, I think that the, I think the plan is basically to, drain the United States mil economically and militarily by getting them into a conflict with Russia, okay? Which which is what the United States says it's doing to Russia, okay? So the United States is like, oh, we spend, you know, 2% of our military budget funding Ukraine, and they're going to basically destroy Russia's economy. Well, that's actually not happening, right? So Russia's economy is not being destroyed. Vladimir Putin is very popular amongst his people. You know, there are, you know, there's people who fight against Vladimir Putin, sure, you know, <laughs> recently, you know, Prigozhin, but for the most part, like, Vladimir Putin's very popular in the country, 
and the economy is not in the quite the shambles that they thought they would, you know, create with all of these sanctions and stuff. And so what's what's what is happening though is that the United States is like, oh, well, we're you know, we're gonna have to stop doing it this at some point because we actually don't have the military stockpiles to keep on doing it. And of course, the United States has been dragging out the conflict in Russia on purpose. That's the whole entire, uh, the, the conflict in Ukraine on purpose. So like, you know, the, the conflict is about to ensue. They know it's going to ensue. And Joe Biden says, oh, well, you know, um, maybe if it's just a minor incursion, then, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And and, um, and Mark Milley comes out and says, oh, well, Kiev, Kiev will fall in three days. Okay. So what they're actually doing is they're trying to invite Vladimir Putin to invade the country. They're, you know, the idea is that, go and set this trap for Vladimir Putin. And, you know, that seemed to have been a reasonably effective strategy. And then Vladimir Zelensky is like, well, I need F-16s and I need this and I need that and I need all these different weapons. And they're like, I got an idea. I'll give you I'll give you Stinger missiles and Javelin anti-tank missiles and then your soldiers can run around on in their boots and throw these things at the tanks. And then after a few months of doing that, then they're like, okay, well, now you can have the missile. Now you can have the missile defense. Now, you know, a few months later, you can have, and now they're sending them F-16s. So the reason that they're, you know, this is not, the Biden administration is not becoming wiser over time and making better decisions. What they're doing is trying to make the conflict last as long as possible because they believe that, or, or their purported belief is that they can, by dragging the, the, the conflict out, they will cause Russia to collapse. Well, the idea that that, would, that that would happen to Russia but not to the United States is actually not supported by a great deal of evidence, right? So, like, th- that can happen to America more easily than it can to Russia because Russia's economy is built on real things, okay? So Russia has, you know, Russia exports energy. The, the, I, think, I think they might be the— number one oil exporter in the world. I, I think I'm pretty sure they're the number one or number two natural gas exporter in the world. Now, the United States could do that, but we don't because climate change, right? So you're like, all right, so I'm trying to stop Russia, but I'm really worried about the weather in 50 years. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to print. I'm going to run the printing presses all day and night until the dollar collapses, because that's what America uses to hold power. It's the dollar. And so once the dollar is no longer taken seriously, then the Chinese run the world. And that's, I think that's the purpose of the enterprise fundamentally is that like you're discrediting the monetary system. Uh, hey, Chris, I just wanted to throw in one thing uh, yeah. about Russian support or opposition of Putin. So I have a little bit of anecdotal evidence, take it for what you will. So I've been an online English teacher for a little bit over a year. And I have, I used to speak openly, well, not totally openly, but mostly openly about political things. And I've gotten out of the habit of speaking politics with my students anyway. Very wise. Russians, what? I said that's very wise, probably. Yes. So I had a bunch of Russian students who were all a C1 level of English, which is almost totally fluent. Um, And... Every single one of them said they don't like Russia and they don't like Putin. And this was even after I offered up support for Russia and Putin. Um, But um, I I understand this is not a representative sample because these are all people who are very good at English, which I assume the average Russian person is not. But um, 
you know, this did, this did get me thinking a little bit, you know, because previously I was just totally on the side of Russia. But then I started to think, well, you know, I'm looking at Russia today and, you know, outlets like that. And they seem to say that everything in Russia is going, you know, really, really well. And, you know, I think that the stereotype of Russians, you know, um, of sort of Russia is like backward and it's sort of like, well, the Russians, it's like they're kind of white, but they're sort of like the more backward wing of the of the white race. I, I think there is some validity to that. And, you know, if I had to guess, like between, you know, Russian propaganda or like stereotypes about Russia, I kind of guess that maybe the stereotypes, even if they're exaggerated, might have some level of truth to them. Well, they they definitely have some level of truth to them. I guess, you know, trying to discern what that level is, it becomes the uh, becomes the cognitive burden. So like my understanding of it now, I, I don't want you to dox yourself, but I presume these are students who have left Russia, they're studying in the United States, or they're studying in an English-speaking country, would that be fair to say? Not necessarily. Some some would be in America, some would actually be, uh, one was in Turkey, so it's not, They a lot of them left Russia, although not necessarily that they were, um, you know, in the West specifically. Well, but I think what here's what here's the theory that I posit in response to what you're saying. These are people who don't feel any particular attachment to their country who are saying, screw my country. Right. And so I. Sure. So, so like, again, yeah. Statistical validity. Yeah. Brought into question, of course. Right. And so like they're they're not particularly patriotic Russians. Um, uh, crash. I'm, I'm sorry. Let me just finish my sentence and I'll uh, I'll try to help crash. Or if anybody wants to try to explain to him in the in the text chat how to turn his microphone on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't think that they are people who are like enthusiastic. I understand that there are people in Russia who or people who are from Russia who are not enthusiastic about Vladimir Putin. And it's actually my understanding of it from my, my information from having Russian newspapers read to me when I didn't have internet access was that like all these people left Russia, you know, during the conflict, they basically, you know, you could say they bought into Western propaganda. They were probably predisposed to that to begin with, you know, and he's like, Oh, all the liberals are fleeing the country. This is great. My, my friend told me this and I said, okay, well, yeah, I could see how that could, you know, benefit a country. You have all the liberals leave. And so, um, the, uh, uh, that's my theory on it in any case, that basically they, they were predisposed to dislike. I don't think that I something tells me that they didn't start to dislike Vladimir Putin after the special military operation. My, my theory would be that they are predisposed to this. They basically consume Western media. Um, they, they're interested in English for reasons not pertaining to their patriotism. And, and that is why you're observing the phenomenon that you are. Yeah, that's true. One one other thing I, I think I'd like to say, though, is that the, the racialists of the past never really considered Southern Europeans or Eastern Europeans to be, you know, objectively white. Some would say debatably white, but, um, uh, you know, and I think some people in our movement would like to, I guess I'd say rewrite history, and they'd like to say that, you know, German painter guy was a fan of all Europeans, now, I've read German Painter Guy's second book, which 
admittedly was not published in his life. So some people might say it's not real, but it seems to line up with what racialist thinkers at the time were saying. And, you know, um, in this book, he talks about how he's against, you know, pan-European ideals. It's like very much against the idea of being pan-European. Um, yeah. And, uh, Go yeah. ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. And in the book about struggling, the, he talks about struggling. And I, I believe there's a passage in there where he talks about trying to get Polish women to have abortions, which does not seem to be something he also said about German women. So I, I think that, you know, um, anyway, these are just my observations that maybe. Yeah. Help. So, like, I understand that. Um, look, I my I had this Russian friend and, you know, if you talk to him about a lot of the ideas that were popular in Germany at that time, he actually understands those ideas and he doesn't find them all that offensive. What he finds very offensive is that <laughs> that the German conception of race held Russians to be untermensch, okay? And so, like, you can't, like, you know, the uh, there's uh, anti-Semitism is not a completely foreign concept in Russia, say, and but it, you can't you can't be a Nazi there because Nazis are the national enemy. Nazis view us as ethnically beneath them and seek to exterminate us as the cultural reference point, right? And so, like, you know, you can't you 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 can't discuss things of that nature with them on on. Or at least you would have to be very, very familiar with somebody to speak to them about revisionist history of World War II, say. And so, like, you know, that's they have a very good reason to dislike that whole category of action. And um, and so, you know, I understand what you're talking about. The uh, the idea that Slavs are white is a modern phenomenon, say. And I do think that we need to be a bit careful. I mean, on one hand, I understand that there are benefits for our movement if we move beyond the Northwestern European group that originally was the limitation of our people and expanded to Southern Europeans and Eastern Europeans. Although I think also there is sort of the danger if the definition of white changed once, it could change again. And, you know, I see this happening with Hispanics. And actually, I see this, you know, maybe in America, the white nationalist movement is actually white. But I mean, there are some really dark brown people in Latin America who who consider themselves to, you know, they'll dress in the German uniforms or they'll they'll talk about how much they love German painter guy. And it could be like a dirty brown Mexican guy looking in the mirror. He's like. I am a supreme Aryan person. Look at my blue eyes and my blonde hair. You know, something like that. Yeah, I think that, um, well, you know, there's the idea that um, Hispanics are a race is a uniquely American phenomenon, I'd say. It's a United States phenomenon, okay? <clears throat> they do not view themselves as an ethnic race group. levels of white and, you know, Amerindian, African, et cetera. Right. Course. And their, their entire conception of it is the closer to white they are, the higher they are on the ethnic, you know, hierarchy. Right. So like they're, they, they are in a sense, white supremacists, right? <laughs> they're like, well, you know, I'm a Puerto Rican and, and you are a Honduran. That means that I'm more white than you means 
you are you are lower than I, right? And so like they they are in a there's a there's a real sense of white supremacy there. I would say, um, of course, it doesn't have sort of like the 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 notions of ethnic purity that um, prevail in certain white nationalist circles in the United States. It's not there is no one drop rule among them because that you know that would kind of smash the whole thing out of the park. But they have they have that sort of they have that they have that hierarchy in mind certainly. And as you mentioned, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, it's a it's a status thing, you know. And so that's for real. There's no question about that. And you're right that you know the concept of what, you know who and what is white in the United States is shifting, right? So you know. I went down to Virginia in 2017, and I <clears throat> I lost internet access for a little while. And one of the guys in my cell block was a was a Puerto Rican who was uh, you know involved with like League of the South, and you know, and I was like, oh, you know, we're the white guys, and he's like, I'm not white. I'm like, well, you know, you're white now. <laughs> you know, like I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I'm not going to discriminate against you. We're in here for the same thing. You know, like uh, I, I I wasn't ready to fuss about it. You know, and so. You know that 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 conception is, I think. You know, but you know, I have different views on this than a lot of people in my circles. Anyway, you know, people scream at me for this if I um, if I get into too much detail of it in certain forums. But you know, I'm not a I'm not some one drop fanatic myself, right? You know, I'm like, okay, you know, David Duke once said to me, "You look white, you act white, you are white," and I'm like, okay, I can work with that. You know, like. The idea that I got to run around swabbing everybody's cheek, checking for contamination is kind of preposterous in my book. And so, you know, I got into this because I want to like protect a way of life. And so if people are protecting the way of life, you know, I'm not inclined to argue with them, frankly, myself. And so, you know, that, that is, uh, that is changing because, you know, amongst Hispanics in the United States, it's like, you know, they have kind of a choice. They can, they can choose to, they can choose to behave like white people and attain the things that white people attain or, you know, they can choose to run around the streets with other groups and, you know, destroy their families and stuff. Um, Chris, if I could chime in on that, I think we might be making a little bit of a mistake where um, we are hearing discussions that happen in our far section of the Internet or movement or whatever. And then we kind of don't understand, like, what is like normal. So, like, I give you an example. I went to uh, Montana for my honeymoon. And one of the guys at the bar uh, was from New York, and we started talking because I'm from that area too. And when he paid his bill, he had an Italian last name. And the bartender thought this was like the most weird, exotic thing she'd ever heard, and was like, it was like blew her mind. Um, people like normal white people, like you know, especially not on the coast in this country, would you know they don't they would never consider like brown Hispanic people white. I mean, even white Hispanics that speak Spanish, they don't consider them white. Um, you know, I. I think there's a level of desperation that maybe comes into like, you know, racial nationalist movements in the United States where like we're so hungry for supporters and, and to be able to count people within our group to make our numbers bigger that maybe we've, you know, bend the rules a little bit on the edges. But I don't think, generally speaking, white Americans in the United States would consider these people that are obviously not white, white. Well, if they're obviously not white, then, you know, then they don't consider them white. But if they're not so obviously not white or you know, I well, mean, you sorry, know. I, I, I misspoke. I, I misspoke. What I meant to say is, like I said, if you bring like a guy that looks really white to, let's say, Ohio and like the country in Ohio, and then he starts speaking Spanish, they're going to look at him like an other and they're not going to consider him white, like in their sense of white. 
And that that's just been my anecdotal experience from like being in different places in the United States. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, white is a white is wrapped up in a lot of things. Okay, so when I didn't have Internet access, if you were gay, you were not white. (laughs) Okay, you were gay. Right. That was your that was functionally your race is your homosexual. And so, like, you know, um, there there's more to it than, you know, whether you whether uh, whether you can get a sunburn. Right. (laughs) So. Um, I, I do get, I do get that much, but I would say that, you know, you know, I, you and I have talked, you know, I, I dated this girl who like, I think, I think her mother was half Puerto Rican was the big controversy. Okay. So like I'm doing a show that, you know, is, you know, moderately pro white, let's say. And, And so like, and, and then people find out that I'm dating a girl who her, her mother was half Puerto Rican and a bunch of anonymous lunatics in the chat, they go crazy and I'm like, shut up, you know, and most people who I could pick out of a lineup were like, yeah, like whatever, you know, like, but all these anonymous accounts, they went, they went nuts. And so like, but if, if I didn't, if I didn't mention this, nobody would have, you know, you, you, if I bring her to a party, I'm like, here's my white girlfriend. Nobody's questioning it. Right. She, you know, you look white, you act white, you are white. You start speaking Spanish. Well, you know, that's not, that's not something that people typically in the United States, people don't associate that with being white. So you're not acting white. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, from, you know, when we're talking about people that are into like racial nationalism, uh, it's obvious if you know anything about how race works that you can have a Puerto Rican who's like mostly Spanish descended versus a Puerto Rican who's mostly African descended or mostly Teano descended. So it's got to be case by case. And I mean, uh, I think it was Matt before was kind of talking about, you know, uh, the Austrian painter guy uh, and and his, his group of people not counting Slavs as Europeans. I mean, that was true to an extent, for sure, and it was definitely like a bigotry level to it. But I mean, I think from a from a racial science standpoint, if you look at the, the documents and how the Germans treated immigrants from that region, um, it was a case by case basis. Like you could there was definitely people that they understood to be Aryans from Russia or Poland. It wasn't like every single person that ever came from Russia couldn't be counted as an Aryan. And then, of course, that whole war thing you know, that, that disincentivized, you know, humanizing those people. Um, but so I, I'm just saying, like, I think people that understand race can be nuanced about, you know, you look at a person and you're like, yeah, you're from this place. And typically there might be problems racially there, but like, that doesn't necessarily exclude you off the bat. Like you can kind of judge a person's race from other factors. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that's probably an accurate assessment. Let me check on crash here. I know crash was having some trouble, um, uh, getting the microphone up. I know Tony was trying to help him. Do you, uh, did you, yo, yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, uh, Tony. Hope all has been well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the subject is kind of funny because, uh, you know, I think I always like appropriating and reminding people that Spanish is a white language. You know, this is a country, uh, a language from Spain. And uh, the whole idea that, oh, speaking Spanish is, you know, I get it means you're maybe a foreigner, not an American, obviously. Right. Or at least not an what we'd consider a regular American. But yeah, I I think it's funny too, because when you look at countries like specifically Argentina and Venezuela and, you know, shit, you know, some of the girls I've dated from these countries, I mean, shit, I'm, you know, where are you? Sorry. 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 Uh, I'm a mix of, you know, South and Northern European and hell in the summer, I have a nicer tan than some of these girls from Argentina and Venezuela do. And I think it's kind of absurd to just be like, Oh yeah, like you know, they're not white. I mean, even culturally, I think when you look at everyone at a party, right, and you're going to have you know maybe the blacks in one corner, you're going to have the Asians in another corner, maybe a couple Indians here and there, and there's going to be like the white people. And you know what? At the end of the day, a lot of those white people are going to be, um, you know, 
I think predominantly European, but the Hispanics, I mean, depending on where you go, a lot of them are just basically white looking and the ones that aren't just aren't, you know, I think there's a really pretty clear divide. Like when you look at Mexicans, there's ones like Canelo Alvarez that, you know, ginger white guy. And I, I think if anyone saw a picture of Canelo, you'd be like, yeah, it's a white ginger guy. Uh, I just think there's a, it's, it's kind of a redundant issue really more or less. I mean, we're not in the position where we can really be even bothering to try to exclude people if they kind of agree with our cause and, you know, Hey, at the end of the day, you know, you could help, you know, post things online with me and come to, you know, hang out, I guess. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, um, that's a reasonable assessment about it. I mean, you know, there, I, I think that there's a reasonable apprehension of creep, you know, like, um, <clears throat> the idea that, um, you know, okay. Um, it, it, you know, you're not black now you're white. <laughs> you know, I, I could see like people don't want that to happen. Right. Um, and so I understand some amount of that, but you know, today, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, what you're describing is eminently reasonable, obviously. And, uh, you know, if you're running around calling people Vato, you know, maybe, maybe we'll question your, I don't care. I don't care what color your eyes are. If you're calling people <laughs> Vato, you're not on my team, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, you know, there's, there's, there's a cultural element to it, I, I'd say. And like, you know, and at the end of the day, like, look, you know, I understand that some people's conception of politics is primarily racial. Mine never has been. Like it, it, it was, it, it was a thing that was thrust upon me as a consequence of like, okay, you know, I became red pilled on immigration because it was going to destroy the country, right? Like I was like, oh well, this is definitely going to destroy the country, right? Like I was watching this thing happen in Europe, where like, you know, there's rape gangs running around and nobody's, aff everybody's afraid to criticize them, and I'm like, well, no, like you can't do that. Stop it, you know. And so, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm worried about rape and crime and, you know, economic catastrophe, you know, okay, there's a racial component to it. I should probably take notice of that. But the idea that, you know, uh, is somebody, uh, somebody doesn't burn near as fast as me. Now you're out of the club. Well, you know, sorry, like politics doesn't work that way in a democratically elected government. Like it's about addition and multiplication. If you're just dividing and subtracting all the time you know, you're going to lose. And so, you know, that's my, that's my personal view of it. Yeah. I, I think it's just being uh, realistic. And, uh, you know, I don't think uh, when we kind of think about where we are as a movement right now, I don't think kind of like pushing women away. I don't think it serves much of a purpose yet. Uh, I know that, you know, a lot of us like the idea of, you know, homogeneous, homogeneous, or homogeneous kind of society, whatnot, coveted community kind of thing. But I think uh, if guys show up with a you know Mexican or Japanese wife, I don't think anyone is really gonna. Uh, I mean, are we gonna really ostracize someone that's gonna, in some cases, be a valuable member that has X, Y, and Z resources? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It depends on the circle. I mean, I remember a story that the the Traditionalist Workers Party. There was a situation where like a guy joined, and he had a he had a non-white wife, and. <laughs> The condition of him joining the group was, okay, well, you know, if we have an ethno state, your wife and your children aren't going to be able to come. You understand that, right? And he's like, yeah, I'll leave my wife and children if we get an ethno state, right? Well, you know, something tells me that he figured the, the prospects of him staying with his wife were probably higher than the prospects of an ethno state. And I imagine he had that conversation with his wife, you know? And so, like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it, it, it's... I I am not uh, uh, what how do I want to try to phrase this especially here you know I, I don't take it lightly if um, you, if you have an ethnocentric group 
and somebody approaches you and they're like, well, I have a I have a spouse that definitely doesn't fit into the ethnocentric concept. You know, I'm not going to say that uh, those people are idiots for excluding the guy from the group. You know, there's there are reasons for doing that. Um, But, uh, you know, I don't lead any such group. And so, you know, I don't have to make those decisions. Yeah, I think this is kind of my point. It's like, you know, the whole idea of getting to this coveted community is so far away that uh, I don't think it's just I don't think it's worth the discussion at the end of the day. Like doing the whole purity spiraling thing, I think uh, it it seems kind of counterproductive at where we are right now. And I think uh, it all comes down to, you know, what resources and things people have to offer. You know, if the guy is like a Mark Zuckerberg with a Chinese wife. Right. But he has the influence and, you know power of someone established and it's like you know unlike the traditionalist worker party when we're looking at generally blue collar guys with not a whole lot of resources or influence it's like okay so you're not going to be in our club but we lose nothing and not for nothing you probably aren't gaining anything because there isn't really any sort of place to you know that we have so it it doesn't seem you know practical to me but anyways yeah that's enough of this subject yeah i would probably be very skeptical about letting mark zuckerberg join my club but you know, I, I understand your, your concept in any case. I see Crash, you're unmuted. Uh, how's it going, buddy? Good. How's everybody? Um, I, uh, yeah, I was able to get this. I just, I was on trying on a, a browser that wasn't working with it at first. Um, Bet you got it worked out. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be here. It's my first uh, member chat, but um, Thanks for I was joining. just going to say something about, you know, the whole, uh, the, the incel thing that's been dominating the the, the the conversation the last few days i remember i i had said something to uh one of the guys like all right well you know re- treat women with kindness and magnanimity but you know for god's sake don't don't simp um and you know i say that stuff kind of in a joking manner for the most part i mean i i don't think you should be falling all over yourself for for women that aren't worthy of it but I am married. I've uh, been married for 17 years. I got two daughters, um, and I love them. I mean, I, I would give my life for for all three of them, obviously, uh, like, like any good father would. So, I think I got to thinking about it. And Simp? No, I'm kidding. Obviously, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's <laughs> you, like, you love you your daughters. Kind of, what are you? Some kind of you're some kind of feminist? <laughs> yeah, you know, I saw this 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 one joke one time. Like being being a father of of daughters is is like the cuckiest thing that you could do because you raise these girls knowing that they're going to be with other, you know men and all this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that uh, you just it's easy to for, to forget that a lot of guys out there are are younger and not fathers and and not husbands and they kind of will in, internalize this kind of stuff, especially if they spend too, too much time online. I mean, I don't want to do the whole uh, online bashing thing because I'm on a lot too. But, um, you know, I, 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 I guess it's one of those things where you have to think about setting a better example for these, these younger guys because I kind of get it in a way coming up these days. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 49. I mean, I'm, I'm Gen X. I didn't, I didn't have to come up in this culture, thank God. And, um, I feel a little bit bad for them. I mean, you know, their options are a little bit more uh, iffy at this point. I I think that uh, uh, having concern for their uh, their well being and satisfaction is a, is a concern worth having, certainly. And I think that part of the reason that they're, I mean, there there are external there are circumstances external to them which are contributing to those uh, diminished prospects, of course. <clears throat> but among those 
circumstances that those external circumstances that contribute thereto are the things that cause them to, you know, embody behaviors that actually, you know, that that further diminish things. And I, you know, I said elsewhere, a lot of these guys, if they went to the gym twice a week and showed up for work on time, they probably wouldn't be so mad at women. And like, I think that there's probably a lot to that. Now, you know, I can't, uh, the guys who are, you know, just going on and on and on and on about it. You know, I don't know anything about them. They're anonymous accounts. So, you know, some of them will probably tell me that they, uh, you know, that they, that I'm a, I have uh, three wives and 200 daughters, you know, for all I know, but like, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, uh, all the details about them, but I mean, that's the suspicion, right? That like, well, you know, like if you're that mad at women, like, you know, at, like categorically, right? It, 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 people straw man it. They're like, oh, well, do you like tattooed whores? And I'm like, well, you know, if a girl got a tattoo at 21 and, you know, as a matter of fact, I don't, I'm not so worried about that. If she's selling her ass on the street, then yeah, like I think that's probably a, a, a very destructive course for her and everybody around her. And you probably shouldn't marry her, you know, <laughs> like, right. you know. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It's just, it's it's goofy and it's some guys at, at some point it's like okay if you're gonna carry on this long about it you're you're kind of i don't know i just can't really pay attention to you anymore well the thing uh, is that, there's two that. things go there's a couple of things going on here right so and and it's important to understand one of them when when we try to put the thing in context which is that <clears throat> you know a, a, a certain element of this is definitely people who don't have our best interests at heart okay these are these are probably transgender antifa activists is probably some number of these people okay they're taking advantage of Poe's law, running right-wing parody accounts, and stirring the pot, all right? And so, like, that's, I genuinely think that there's a, a very substantial percentage of this comes from that element. And that's why, you know, they take advantage of the fact that, you know, people are afraid of being doxxed, and they're like, well, of course I'm not going to identify myself. I don't want to get doxxed, right? But they're they're coming around, and they're basically, they're malicious actors. And I, I, I noticed... In the Odyssey comments, you know, there's a guy who comes around. He's never commented on anything before. He comments in direct contradiction of what the video is, and he says a bunch of things that have that 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 are completely not pertinent to the the point that I'm making. And I'm like, okay, well, like you're obviously not a listener of the show, right? Like you came here for the singular purpose of trying to discredit what I'm doing to people who are unfamiliar with the content, you know. And whether that guy's working for the FBI, the SBU, or, you know, moveon.org, you know, I have no idea. But he obviously has an intent that has nothing to do with, you know, understanding what's going on. And so the, the fact that, that that element exists also feeds the opinions of genuine actors, right? So th those guys come around, and they're like, okay, here's all these things. And as a matter of fact, you probably heard them somewhere else. And uh, and this feeds your suspicion of women that you have earned because— that you have earned the suspicion because— you have other dissatisfactions with your own life, and these things all feed into one another. And you have this feedback loop. And the people who are doing this to intentionally stir the pot, they understand that. You know, they they get it. They know how this works, and they're very good at their jobs. Hundred percent. And you've gotten a lot better at, at dealing with these bad actors. By the way, love to see. Thank it. you. You know, and it's it's a thing I have some concern about. You know, I was talking about this elsewhere that like, you know. It has happened more than once that, you know, I ban somebody or whatever, and then I'm contacted by them. I talk to them for a little while, and then I'm like, okay, come back, you know. But my my view of it is genuinely that, okay, it's it's better that I 
that I wrongly ban a sincere malcontent than that I let, you know, spy agencies run amok in the chat room. You know, I'm one of very few, you probably know, you know, I'm one of very few like dissident right platforms that just allows anybody with a keyboard to speak, right? Like you, you usually have to, you know, most of the channels that I follow on, um, on, on Telegram, like you can't, like you can't comment on them unless uh, there's a circumstance. You know, a lot of them just don't have public comments open, and so, you know, the fact that I do an open phone show and I have, you know, publicly accessible chat rooms is a thing that is taken advantage of by malicious actors. And sometimes I, you know, uh, it it, it, <clears throat> it it occurs from time to time that I have to alienate a sincere person, and I try to correct it, but, uh, you know, I think I have gotten better, uh, I, I, notably with the help of Pat, I, I should say, uh, at, like, figuring out, you know, who's here to do bad and uh, and who's here to, you know, have a discussion whether we disagree with them or not, because I, I'm perfectly happy, like... I, I I wish more people would come in and be like, okay, so here's my here's my disagreement with you, and I'm going to have a good faith you know conversation about it. That would make things more interesting. Um, and on the occasion that we have those people call into the show, I'm enthusiastic about it. But you know, people who are just like, you know what? Let me take the most divisive thing possible. You know, like the funny thing is this, right? So we mentioned this uh, German painter guy. I think as Matt creatively put it, you know, it, you know, somebody elsewhere said. You know, if these people would come to Christ, then we wouldn't have these problems. And I was like, you don't even need to aspire so high as getting them to come to Jesus. Like, they're claiming that they're national socialists. You go tell them to read Mein Kampf. Okay, so, like, anybody who's read Mein Kampf is like, you know, Adolf Hitler said, you know, I don't have the quotes off the top of my head about this. There are other quotes that stand out in my mind that are, you know, more entertaining. But, you know, he's, he talks about, like, you can't have class conflict in, like, an ethnocentric movement. You You can't have... The, the sexes at war with one another in an ethnocentric movement. This is like the most common sense thing in the world. If you if you're trying to bring to people together around like an ethnocentric concept, then like you you can't permit all these other divisions. Like they have to be actively suppressed. So when people come around and they're like boomer this, boomer that, well, what are you doing? You're attacking prior generations. Like are you an idiot? Like you're you're involved in an ethnocentric movement. You can't do that. And you're like, oh, women are a bunch of tattooed whores that look like a, a truck got sideswiped on a side of the freeway. <laughs> like, you know, like I asked a guy on the phone the other day, you know, so if some black guy told you that white women are whores, he's like, yeah, I'd agree with him. And I'm like, OK, well, like, what are you like? What 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 are your politics? You know, you know, if somebody tells you that white guys are pussies, what are you going to say to that guy? You'd be like, yeah, I'd agree with him. I'm like, all right. So. You know, I don't know, you know, maybe you're, are you a red? Like, what's going on? You're obviously not involved in what we're doing, you know. I was so mad when I heard that guy talking. God, I was pissed. He was obviously, you know, and I and I even, I, I was going to let him back into the chat room. I'm like, okay, you called into the show. I'll give you another chance, right? So that guy, it was interesting. So I have another Telegram group I set up. Some of you know, I think most of you are probably in it. Um, I have this, like, Cantwell show prep group, okay, where I'm like, okay, just post pertinent links with descriptions of why they'd be relevant for the show. This guy, in, instead of asking me to let him back into the Telegram group, he goes into the show prep group, and he's like, you haven't banned me for here, from here yet. You might want to get to that. And I'm like, okay, sure, I'll ban you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, okay, no problem, idiot. You know, go go read, go listen to the Radical Agenda episode on persuasion, you moron. Like, what do you think you're accomplishing? And then he shows up in the, in the Surreal Politics chat, and, and he's like, please don't ban me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> behave yourself. And I said something to the fact that, like, you know, 
I haven't I haven't codified the no a-hole rule, but you know, be on notice that there is one. And so behave yourself and you won't get banned from this chat. But now I'm not gonna bring him into the other one, you know. So, you know, it seems to me that, you know, if that guy's not a, a bad actor, then he's a then he's you know, whether he's intentionally being a bad actor or not, that's the effect of him. And so, you know, I'm not all about, you know, division and subtraction in a in a political movement, but you know, if if you're if you are, then you're gonna cause me more trouble than you're worth. What what use do I have for you, you know? Agreed. Well, thanks for letting me talk, Chris. It was uh, it was good to uh, finally do this. Thank, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. I really appreciate it. Now, uh, you know, Chris, I'm I'm curious what um what place, if any, do you think there is in terms of criticizing either our own people, whether it's as a whole or some individuals within that group? I mean, there must be some, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you know. I don't have a problem with criticizing individuals as a general matter, okay? So, like, if somebody does something wrong, you're like, this is the behavior that you did that I'm criticizing. That makes perfect sense to me, right? Now, you know, depending on what the behavior is, you know, maybe it's conspicuous that you're bothering to do it. But, like, you know, you know, take take Nick Fuentes, which I, I'm not sure that he's us, but whatever, you know. You know, this guy goes around, you know, promoting inceldom is kind of like my, my conception of it, and— he runs around attacking other personalities. It seems like that's what he's there to do. He's he's there to cause trouble for other people in the movement. And so, you know, and that's that's how he attains his status along with what I believe to be, you know, chicanery with traffic statistics. And so, you know, I think that his habit of attacking other people and his habit of creating the sort of divisions that we're trying to suppress is evidence of bad behavior on his part. And so I critique those behaviors. And so... The fact that right. he does things that I don't like, and then I criticize him for doing those things. I'm I'm not only criticizing Nick Fuentes because he's a Mexican child. I'm criticizing him because he's doing things that that are that evince a design to not help. And so, like, if somebody's doing things that evince a design to not help, or are, are of such a nature that whatever their design will not be helpful, you know, that's a fine thing to do. I, you know, I had the guy hammer on the on the uh, on the uncensored show. And, like, I think that some of the things that he does are very misguided. Now, you know, I think that the best way for me to handle that is to treat him with respect, okay? Because I actually believe that his behavior can be altered. Is You know, I'm disclosing this back here and not in public. You know, he might hear about it, but, you know, I, I uh, one of the things I wrote afterwards was, like, anybody who's, like, criticizing that guy trying to take him down a peg or saying, I'm better than you because you're you're this or that— like they're not going to get anywhere with that guy, right? Like he, 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 he. I don't think that he's like a fed or whatever. Some people say these things about him. Like I sat across the table from him and talked to him for two and a half hours. That's not the vibe that I get from the guy from being in a, in a room with him. And so, like, you know, I think that you know he was a radical agendalister. Like he knows all about me, and like he's you know like he's when I talk to him privately, he's telling me about my YouTube videos and stuff like that. It goes that far back, and so like you know he basically got this idea in his head that what he needed to do was be really edgy. And, you know, I can't, he, he, I don't think that he'd appreciate me, you know, taking credit for his work or whatever, but, you know, I get the idea that maybe I did that man a disservice, frankly. And so like, you know, I'm like, okay, well actually what this guy requires, the, the, the only way to talk to this guy is to like treat him with respect and say, wow, you know, you, you know, I, I want to help you do better. Right. And so, 
because I because I perceive that that's the better way to act with him, I act that way. I, I don't think that anything of the sort would work with a guy like Nick Fuentes. And so I'm like, you know, I, I think that he's worth discrediting, but I, I also don't think it's a very good idea to focus on him very much because I think a lot of the attention that he purports to have is fake, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to exaggerate his importance. And so, you know, that's sort of a strategic decision. It's, you know, there's a nuance to it, I guess, is my idea. But, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that there's any legitimate, I, I don't think there's any legitimate categorical, you know, internecine conflict in an ethnocentric movement. Okay. If you're, if you're attacking gender in an ethnocentric movement, you're an idiot. If you're attacking a generation in an ethnocentric movement, you're an idiot. Or, or your best case scenario, you're an idiot, right? If you're if you're saying that the the lower economic classes of our ethnic group are are somehow uh, less valuable to us than our upper economic classes of our ethnic group, then like you're you're a divisive, dangerous person who's actually working. I don't need you to come to Jesus. Just go to Hitler. Like, go read Mein Kampf. He will tell you not to do that. And and the idea that you would portray that behavior after having read that and saying that you're a national socialist is preposterous. Right. Well, I, I think that um, the the issue is that not all of our movement is national socialist. I mean, I think there's the sort of like the the socialist wing of our movement and the more capitalist wing of our movement. And I guess maybe those groups, even though they may agree that a wider country tends to be a better country, definitely the national socialist movement would like to ignore those differences. And maybe the more, I don't want to say libertarian because it's not quite libertarian, but maybe the more capitalist movement would be, um, would like to emphasize those distinctions. So do you think there's any way that those two wings, let's call them national capitalism and national socialism, do you think that there's any way that those two wings could mostly cooperate, even if sometimes they're going against each other? So I, so let me just, I, I, I conceptualize the, the internecine landscape differently than you. So let me try to articulate that before I try to respond to your point. When I observe these people who are engaging in gender, um, you know, uh, intra-ethnic conflict, I observe this happening from people who say that they are tr the true national socialists, that they are the people who revere Adolf Hitler. And that's partially because they are almost entirely anonymous accounts with, with a few notable exceptions. Okay, Th They say that they are national socialists and that you are not living up to the standards of national socialism unless you do all of these things that create intra-ethnic conflict. And so like, okay, you're creating intra-ethnic conflict. You're associating with the, us with the national enemy and you're an anonymous account who can delete your account and be gone tomorrow. Right? So like I, I, from those three phenomena, I tend to assume that those people are bad actors and that they don't have our best interests at heart. And if there are, you know, real faces in the crowd who who attach themselves to that you know maybe they're sincerely misguided or maybe they're you know or maybe they're running the botnet okay and so and i also view it that it doesn't seem to me that the what, what might be described well there are people who will take issue with me describing it this way but i'm sorry it's the only way i can do it to to you know articulate my conception of it there's Strasserus, and then there's people who have like coherent economics 
on different ends of a thing. And then there's a bunch of people who really don't have much in the study of economics to speak of. Right. So, you know, that I think that that's sort of what you're talking about in this sort of like left-wing economic ideas. And then what you're describing is a national capitalist. Okay. I think that what you're describing is national capitalist or people I would describe as having coherent economics. And I think that the people who are more of the socialist bent are, are people who are fundamentally strasserous or they, they don't understand economics and they're, and they're basically thinking like, well, once we take the money from the bad people, then we can spend it better. And they don't understand that there's consequences that come along with the government intervention in the economy. And so the people who don't, the people who don't understand that fine, you know, I, I think that, you know, they're worth working with obviously, but the people who are like, you know, just have like whacked out ideas or who are intentionally spreading falsehoods, you know, they're, they're people I view as subversives. Right. So I understand there's a difference between bad actors and people with legitimate disagreements. Um, yeah, I guess it's just that, you know, there are sort of, um, uh, shall we say there are within race egalitarians and then there are within race non egalitarians, even among people who agree that there are differences between the races. So, um, I, I guess what you're saying is that even if there are differences within a race for for political gain, we have to just pretend that those differences don't exist. Well, no, I, I think that the differences should be understood. Right. So, like, you know, I'm not I'm not an I'm not an intra ethnic egalitarian. OK, so, like, I think it's entirely appropriate to have economic socioeconomic classes in an in an ethnically homogenous society, say. And so, like, but but the thing is that those people are not, I don't believe that there's actually a class conflict. I, I believe that that's like a Marxist revolutionary idea designed to destroy the, the ethnic group, okay? So, like, that's a, that's a genocidal plot against those people. When you go in there and you say, hey, working people, the, the, the factory owner is ripping you off. Well, you're not there to you're not helping the working people. You're you're actually creating the worst possible circumstance for those people. Okay, when you go in there and you say the people who are wealthy are wealthy because you are poor, that's not actually how the economy works. And you're lying to those people if you understand what you're doing. Now, there are people who don't understand it. That's obvious. But the the people who come in and stir this stuff up, you know, Marx, Lenin, these people, they know exactly what they're doing. And there's a lot of people who I think do that with us. And, and, you know, whether it's because they're sincerely misguided fanatics or whether it's because they're monsters who are here to destroy a good thing is a, is a thing that, you know, you can only boil that down to the individual level. And I can't really speak of it categorically, but like, I do not believe that, like, I don't think that rich people are rich because poor, poor people are poor. That's not how I view the world. I, I think that poor people in the absence of those people who earn their incomes would actually be infinitely more miserable, save for the benefit of those, you know, higher earning people. It, the, the, the higher earning people earn more because they are fewer in number and provide a service that is in very, very, in, that is in infinite demand, right? There's not an infinite demand for manual labor as, as we understand as, from studying immigration policy, right? There's not, if you keep on bringing in, you know, lower unskilled labor into a country all you do is drive down wages and 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 harm those people now i'm not a particularly big fan of you know this high iq immigration phenomenon either but like it's a it's a categorically different problem than bringing in endless waves of third worlders 
right? And it's not just because the third world has committed crimes. It's because there's a limited demand for, you know, for manual labor. And so, you know, the, 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 the high agency managerial and elite classes, like they serve a really important purpose. And when, when foreigners come in and, and stir the lower classes against the elites, what they're, what they're actually trying to do is replace the elites themselves. They're not trying to help the workers, right? They're saying, overthrow the workers. I'm with you. And then they, right. and they become the rulers. That's the, that's the entire purpose of the enterprise. Maybe I was sort of thinking of the, the opposite thing. Uh, you're thinking of like um, things where the, the poor or the less successful are pitted against the more successful. I was thinking sort of like high status people being against low status people. And maybe if I could try to explain my perception of how national socialism would work in a multiracial society, I guess there might be some white people who are a burden, but I guess the idea is it's worth supporting a, a small number of burdensome white people uh, if if it means you get to have racial cohesiveness. Is that like the idea? I, I agree with that assessment. If, if you're still explaining, I'll let you keep going or I can chime in on it. Yeah, so I guess basically the idea is there will be some white people who, let's say, are criminal or dumb or lazy or whatever. But I guess the national, you know, there could basically be some white people, let's say 10 percent of them, who behave like blacks, for example. And so I suppose the uh, maybe the individualist take on that would be to say, OK, well, this just proves that you know, treating people as individuals is better. And I guess the the way that maybe a national socialist would look at this is to say, okay, well, yes, there are low status or, you know, uh, that type of white person. And yes, there are some white people who behave like blacks, but basically it makes sense to um, sort of ignore or I, in a way, pretend not to see those differences because we're trying to build a cohesive movement. And it's better if we sort of start with the default of saying you're white, therefore we like you. And then if we accidentally get a few, you know, really terrible whites on our side, it's like we can deal with that later. But right now we want to just be racially cohesive. So we have the biggest spread of appeal. Is that like the idea? So, uh, you know, my thinking is that, you know, if people are behaving in a manner unbecoming, then, you know, then the behavior should be discouraged. Right. But I don't I don't think that the class conflict necessarily follows therefrom. And so, like, um, I, I believe that the reason that European peoples were successful is because they they sort of had this distribution where they have, you know, everybody within their ethnic group can fulfill all the responsibilities of a society and that other ethnic groups did not have that advantage. And so like that, that is actually important for the success of European peoples and they should not therefore, um, you know, have contempt for people. I, I think that what you said earlier is um, astute in the observation of higher class people looking down on lower class people that is, um, when I'm talking about Marxism, obviously, I'm I'm talking about the the you know the 
the the poor overthrowing the rich or whatever. But you're right that there's the same exact phenomenon in the other direction. Right? It's like, oh, these people are a bunch of leeches or whatever, and ethnic diversity has the effect of increasing that phenomenon. Obviously, because you know they, they they're like, okay, well, I don't actually feel at one with all of these people because, as a matter of fact, I'm not. And so it, it, they end up looking at things, you know, along those lines. And so, you know, I don't think that the government is irrelevant here. I think the government actually, you know, should, you know, a government in a healthy society would work to smooth out class conflicts. Okay. And so having what might be described as populist economic policies, I, I don't think is unsound to do in this environment. Well, maybe in this environment, perhaps, but, you know, in, in, in a, in an ethnically similar, you know, state, I don't think that populist economics are are inherently harmful. So, like, you know, it, you, you want to have a situation where people feel at one with their society in part because they understand that their society has their back, even if they fall below a certain economic level, that, that they will be carried by their fellow citizens. And you want to discourage them from falling below that line, but if there's nothing else that can be done and they, they find themselves in that position, you know, unemployment insurance, I think is a great example. So like, okay, we're all going to pay, you know, when we're working, we're going to pay in. And if we're not working, then we, then we get paid out. Like, that seems to me like a reasonable thing to do. That that seems to me like, that seems to me like something that a, a prudent person might do in a libertarian free market environment. You might buy insurance so that you're, you're taking care of if you're out of work or something, you know, now, you know, a lot of people are not prudent, and so you do it in a compulsory fashion, and that makes perfect sense to me. So, so like, you know, I I don't think that there's a there's a huge problem with some subsidy for for the lower classes if they if they require it, or like, you know, if you're trying to increase birth rates is another example, right? So, like, you know, I read a book, Hitler's Revolution, and it talked about economic policy in National Socialist Germany. Okay. And so, you know, whatever anybody's thoughts about Adolf Hitler on the on the world stage, you know, w- what he did was say, like, OK, I want to get my birth rates up. And he did a bunch of things to try to get birth rates up. And that was effective, you know. And unfortunately, you know, you know, things kind of went awry. But that portion of the program worked right. He basically, like, turned the whole country's economy around. And part of it was by providing different economic incentives to, you know, for people to get married and have children. And so. You know, I did the episode of this show. Uh, I did the episode of Surreal Politics titled Misesian Socialism, which, you know, sounds like nails on a chalkboard to a lot of people, but it's coherent. You say, like, okay, you know, I don't want to hear about, you know, economic efficiency economists. Like, I understand that you don't prefer this policy. I'm not coming to you for policy suggestions. I'm coming for you to tell me which way the demand curve slopes and, you know, at what point, uh, at what point taxation begins to. Uh, uh, at what point does raising taxes begin to lower tax revenue is the concept of the Laffer curve. And so like these type, these ideas, you know, are things that economists can tell you. And the problem is that most of the people with coherent economic um, reasoning are, are, unfortunately they're enthralled to this like moral concept of the free market. And that's, that's like a major problem in my view. So, you know, understanding, you know, what the economic consequences of a policy are and then acting on it in spite of free market orthodoxy seems to me like a a sound thing to do. Yep. 
Hey, one other thing. I, I wanted to jump in earlier when we were talking about like the incel and the woman thing, but I, I think it's kind of a funny coincidence that if you look at some of the biggest promoters of a lot of like the incel kind of the pro incel or the making it look like a positive thing, they're guys that I would assume have a lot more issues getting girls. Like look at Anglin and Fuentes, right? They're both very short. And I'm not going to say that that means you're a bad person or whatever, but it's pretty common that that is going to make it harder to get women. And I think it's a cope to be this incel, you know, oh, I, I can get girls. I just don't want to because, you know, I'm so cool and it's bad and degenerate, blah, 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 blah. And I think one of the best ways to kind of prevent it from becoming a pervasive thing is having guys that are good with women will typically uh, be a little bit less frustrated in that sense and get on board with the woman hating. You know, I think that there are kind of two camps for a lot of the incel types. There are the, uh, I guess you can kind of call them the the nice guy neck beard that might be the white knight that is like, Oh, I love you, milady kind of thing that is on one side of the spectrum. And then you get guys that, that like that Elliot Roger kid that shot up that sorority because he was the angry incel. And I think when we look at it like this, the thing that we kind of have in common or the thing that they have in common is that like these people probably didn't have a lot of experience with women. And I think one of the things that was, I think really helpful for me is that, you know, growing up, you know, if you are someone that maybe wasn't, you know, Mr. Popular as like an eighth grader or seventh grader, and maybe, um, were never really good with women. I think there was a lot of good content out there that helps guys, you know, learn a little bit more about game and women. And that, you know, ended up being something that helped me understand, you know, people and women a little more. And I think the problem with things now is that a lot of that content has been overdone by bad actors, people just trying to get views. And also, um, you know, just legitimately bad advice and also people that, uh, I think there's too much of it versus back in the day, how there used to be a little bit more of like a refined pickup artist kind of subgroup and not to say it's like, you know, God tier stuff, but I think anyone that reads that stuff, uh, you know, generally can kind of see their faults and, you know, make improvements. And because that is so shunned nowadays with, Oh, you, you know, pickup artist, haha, like, and sometimes rightfully so i think that's a net negative and i think finding the ways to promote you know men getting good with women is probably one of the better ways to solve this issue yeah that's that's i think that's sound advice and like i know exactly what you're talking about that like you know what happened i think is that a lot of the shall we say you you know pickup artist stuff actually comes from like the manosphere or whatever and they've adopted a lot of like MGTOW things about women you know like the, the the phrase cock carousel comes to mind and things like this. And so like, you know, they 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 incorporate these like anti female themes into pickup artist material, which breeds the contempt that, you know, sort of that that is the phenomenon that we're describing. And like that's not necessary as and it's not helpful for that matter. And so, you know, sort of like understanding um, you know, uh, biological incentives or whatever, it, it does not need to descend into, you know, somebody told like in the Odyssey comments on the, on the last thing, they're like female nature. You didn't talk about female nature. I'm like, well, you know, I know, I understand from being in that space, what you're referring to it and what you're, what you're actually going to, if I were to have, if that person calls into the show, they're going to say that, you know, female nature is, uh, is to, uh, uh, I, I haven't done this in a long time, but it's going to be essentially like a whorish, wicked thing that her nature is to try to get the high end um, seed and then have some cuck to take care of her children or something. 
and there's a there's a coherent argument from biology to support that theory, but I don't think that there's actually a great deal of practical evidence for the phenomenon, and so, um, and so like in putting that stuff in people's heads in order to try to get them to emulate behaviors in accordance with that theory of things leads them to destruction. They're mad. They, they don't like what they are being told about women from listening to the things they're emulating the behaviors they're being told to emulate. They're ending up with bad results. And this is a feedback loop and it, and it gets louder and louder and louder. And it, and you know, it results in people like Elliot Roger. And somebody points out that, you know, there were other qualities about him that sort of, you know, led to his, uh, led to his problems. But, you know, it's still the same ideas essentially that, you know, if you think that, you know, the female sex is conspiring against you <laughs> to deny you pleasure in reproduction. It's like, you know, if if somebody tells you that, you know, that's a, it, it's it's a form of killing you, right? You know, if you're saying like, oh, I'm going to deny you the capacity to reproduce, and you're thinking of things in a biological worldview. You know, that's a form of murder in a sense. And so, like, it 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 understandably leads to like violent ideation and this sort of thing. And so, you know, that's very destructive. And I, I'll tell you from my own experience, right? So, like, you know, when I was in high school and junior high school and stuff, like, I was on the football team, I was on wrestling team, and, you know, I, you know, and I was smart and funny and I got girls or whatever. And then, you know, I was, you know, I could get by with women in large part, you know, on personality, even as I got fat, but certainly, like, my options with them diminished really substantially. And it was while I was fat that I got into anti-feminism. Now, you know... I think that there are good reasons for attractive men to be into anti-feminism, certainly, but like there's a there's certainly like a, a bitterness that comes along with you know being rejected by women on a constant basis, and you mix that with the real stuff of anti-feminism, and it's like you know it's a it's a concoction that can get out of hand, I'd say. And then I lost a bunch of weight. I started lifting weights, and I got into better shape, and like. My relationship with women just completely, but it was, you know, it was night and day. My entire life was completely different as a result of, you know, losing 40 pounds, right? And so, like, you know, my disposition towards women, you know, and by the way, I had more reason to be mad at women after I got into shape, right? Like, I was actually more actively harmed by women subsequent to this, okay? But my attitude towards women as a class was not necessarily affected by that. It was, you know, I was mad at the women who harmed me. And so, you know, that was my own experience of it in any case. And I think that your observation is an astute one. And I, and I think one of the things that's also sad is the state of dating in general, you know, I think with the trends on obesity and, uh, a lot more uh, delusion, I think, in our day-to-day -day life. It's, it's very sad to see, you know, a lot of the uh, options out there and a lot of the, I guess, somewhat, I would say, like, delusion of people um, that have a lot of these, you know, very hostile views, thinking that they're owed something, uh, you know, from these women without having any sort of uh, thing to offer them, you know, not understanding the give and take of the relationship. And uh, kind of like what you say, you know, everything is kind of it, you, you made some point like, what are you going to do for me kind of thing? And that's something that a lot of these people don't understand. And I think that is something you see in their politics. And I think that's also something you see a lot. Um, yeah, just in general. They're all acting like Dave in New York is what they're doing, right? You know, I want a girl. I, how do I get a girlfriend with hair down there? How do I get a girlfriend who paints her nails? How do I get a job that pays me lots of money? And then you tell him what to do. And he's like, that's a, that's a lot of effort. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, Dave, you know, then 
you know, than watch pornography. I don't know what to tell you, you know? Yeah, if you've ever been on this, uh, I, I know Reddit has a section called Tinder, right? And, you know, there's plenty of people that post, you know, quirky conversations, right? But a big majority of the content on this Tinder section of Reddit are people, usually guys, asking for advice on their profile. They'll they'll upload five photos and be like, I haven't gotten any matches in like six months, or I got like one match and it's a bot kind of thing, right? And then you look at these posts, and it's... You, you would assume that they are all troll, troll posts because they're such bad attempts with no sort of effort. And I think this is the problem is, uh, you know, we have to kind of end the lazy mentality. I think, you know, if there's anything our movement could do is kind of build a, like a kind of piggyback on a lot of these other right wing pro, you know, pro fitness, pro intelligence, you know, like kind of restoring the things that we used to hold more important than a lot of the degenerate hood culture that kind of pervades today. You know, I think. Um, when you see these people that are delusional, you know, 35 year old guys, you know, unkempt, never worked out, no haircut, no face, uh, you know, no trim on the beard, wearing a Star Wars shirt, being like, oh, you know, I can't find girls. It, it's it's almost like, you know, some people can't be helped. Uh, but I think it's worth trying. And I think a lot of these people can be uh, convinced to understand, like, the idea of a, merit, uh, a meritocratic kind of society and rewarding hard work and eventually kind of become natural fits for the movement if we can somehow reach them and prevent them from going into the egalitarian entitled mindset. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I, you know, you mentioned the, the like the Tinder advising. Now, I didn't get it from Reddit, but, you know, I'll tell you just a, a, an interesting thing from my own experience was like <clears throat> after I got into better shape, I uploaded a whole bunch, you know, I did all my old photos were now useless to me. And so I took a bunch of things that were obviously self-taken photos. And I was like, well, why am I still not getting girls? I'm, I'm hot. And, and then what, what actually, one of the things that like, you know, changed things substantially was you guys have seen this photograph of me, like, um, uh, with a microphone screaming into it at this, at this thing is my profile picture in a lot of places. And like, you know, one of the things that I learned as a consequence of like researching the subject is like if if your photo looks like you took it, you look like you're alone. You know, if if there's like photographs of you doing things, you know, you're, you're somebody that people want to take pictures of, you know. And and so like that little thing actually, you know, kind of like changed things for me. And, uh, you know, p- p- these are things that people can be taught in any case is sort of just the only thing I meant to uh, meant to add to that. Now uh, we are at eleven twenty-eight. Anybody, uh, anybody who hasn't been heard, want to be heard? I, I have my doubts about that. We got a small group tonight. Uh, anybody want to be heard again? All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Wednesday surreal politics. Oh, let me just go check over here on uh, Odyssey Libertariat. Uh, you're all good. Thank you very much, my friend. And so uh, that means that it's uh, it's 1129. But by the time the intro music or the outro music, as it were, finishes playing, it'll definitely be after 1130. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you for downloading the show or for watching it on Odyssey, because if you did that, that means obviously that you paid me. And I am so thankful to the people who pay me. That's really nice of you to do. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go and tell you about all the ways that you can fork over more money because you've paid for this. You know, that would be just silly. And so I'll just say thank you over and over again. I'm so grateful that you paid for this. And if you didn't, I mean, if you didn't pay for it, I'll tell you, you can you can stop stealing. You don't have to steal. You can be an upright and decent person. And then women will be more likely to um, women will be more likely to sleep with you if you're not a crook. You know, if you go to surrealpolitics.com slash join 
and then you uh, you you become a member, and then you won't be stealing. And then if you're not stealing, then you'll be reputable. And women will like you, men will like you. Once men respect you, that's an important thing to know, you know? If men don't respect you, women won't respect you, okay? So earn the respect of men, and then that will help you with women. And then you will uh, have more respect for men as well, you know? And so we'll keep on doing this. And uh, I hope the most success for all of you. I hope I hope for your success. I'm not going to say more than you, but it's up there. I mean, it, we're in competition for who cares more about your success. It's serious. And I hope that you win. I hope that you win. 